We believe in functional mental wellness, a holistic approach to mental health. We know that there's hope for those of us who have experienced trauma, even profound trauma, and that's why we created the Universe Is Your Therapist podcast. We believe whether you call it God, the universe, source, unity, or love, that there is something much greater than us that conspires for our good. We envision a world of healing and connection, and we teach you simple but powerful practices that integrate your mind, body, and spirit so that you can come home to your highest self and your truest identity. You are not broken, you are loved, and you can heal. My name is Amy Hoyt, and together with my sister, Lena, we will take you on a journey of healing and self-discovery. This episode is sponsored by Unblocked, the masterclass. Have you ever felt like you're basically doing okay, but you haven't quite reached your full potential, or you're just within reach of your next level of success, however you define that? If so, this class is for you. The clinicians at Mending Trauma will be presenting a clinically effective three-step formula to help you unblock yourself from your full potential. April 19th, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Well, welcome. Welcome. I am really excited about today's episode. I have a special guest and we're going to talk about trauma as it relates to pregnancy, to childbirth, to infertility and loss, and all of that surrounding um, maternal trauma, really, or parental trauma. Um, And today's guest is Parijap Deshpande. And I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so glad to be here. Absolutely. Tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey and how you got to this place where you're helping moms and I'm sure fathers as well, but Mm -hmm. I know you're focused on mothers. Give us some of that background. Yeah, it's, it's actually very interesting because when I was a child, definitely younger than eight, because uh, I remember what house we were in, I wanted to be an OBGYN. My best friend's father is an OBGYN, and I just loved hearing him talk about his work. And at that young age, I just knew I was not just going to be a doctor, which is kind of the message us Indian kids get a lot, <laughs> but sure. it was specifically OBGYN. And then I went to college and I tried Chem 1A and did not go so well. <laughs> And so took a little bit of a detour and worked kind of through the fields of developmental psychology and then clinical psychology. And, you know, I was working and teaching up at my alma mater and practicing at the local elementary school and through community agency and all that. But there was always a piece of me that felt like I'm missing something, but I didn't know how to do that quite yet. I was still early in my career and still figuring it out. And then very quickly, my entire career came to an abrupt stop because I went through my own personal journey of infertility and loss and a very high risk pregnancy and an extremely preterm delivery. And it was that personal experience that actually lit the light bulb for me and kind of connected the dots and went, this is how you're going to do it. Because one of the things, one of the many lessons I learned along that journey is that there are significant gaps, both in the medical system as well as the mental health system, 
on how to support somebody like me who is wanting to know how to stay pregnant. How do I help myself not lose this baby too? And, you know, it came down to this moment. I was probably somewhere between 14 and 16 weeks pregnant. I'd already been on bed rest for 10 weeks by that point. Things I'd already developed, I I believe, two or three complications by that point. It was not going well. And I remember thinking, if I'm really anxious all the time, I'm terrified all the time, naturally, because I'd already experienced a loss. Of course, I wanted to stay pregnant with this baby, bring this baby home. I remember thinking, if I went to see somebody like me, I know what they would say. And now as the patient, I know that's not what I need. I don't need coping strategies. I want to know how to stay pregnant and make sure that my anxiety, my fears are not impacting my health. And that really came into play when I was admitted to the hospital at 22 weeks and four days, three centimeters dilated. The team rushed in the next morning. I was admitted in the middle of the night. They rushed in the next morning. They're doing the ultrasounds. They're really trying so hard to support us because what they had to tell us was really bad news that despite everything they didn't think i would make it longer than 72 hours and that's just too early for this baby to probably survive and i remember saying to them at one point okay give me everything i say yes to all the medications and medical interventions let's see what you can do but there's one thing that i have not been talked to about that i have a feeling is going to make a difference let me see if i can modulate my body to see if we can also extend that time and they were so lovely i I love this team (laughs) and i'm friends with many of them now but at the time they were just like okay, sure, sure, we'll let you do whatever you think you need. Um, and so and so I tried, I used what I knew about my body, about the physiology of stress, and um, tried to do what I could, given that I was under heavy medication at the same time. But it worked, because you could see it on the monitors. It wasn't just in my head anymore, thinking this was working. Everybody walking in the room could see that it was stopping my contractions when nothing else was changing. I was on continuous medication, mm-hmm. nothing else was changing. And it, they gave me 72 hours and we were able to get 15 days. And that was just long enough to give him a chance at life. And I remember he was born on a Friday and it was that Wednesday. It was an unusually quiet day in my room and everything was just kind of chill and we were all starting to have a little hope maybe we could cross the 25 week mark maybe it'll be okay and in that quiet moment i could i still remember that exact scene of the sunshine coming through the window and i i put my hand on my tiny little belly between the two monitors and i i said to him i said if we both survive this i'm changing my career And I'm coming back and I'm teaching women how they can help themselves stay pregnant because nobody's doing this. And this is ridiculous that I'm having to try to figure it out on continuous magnesium, (laughs) you know. Um, So he was born two days later at 24 weeks and five days. We had a lengthy NICU journey. Very, very fortunate that he came home to us. And he, you know, several years into that, once we kind of got out of the immediate medical 
world and things started kind of coming down and in terms of we had less people on our team and we had less appointments and less kind of things and I could think again that moment came back to me and I said okay I think I think I'm ready so I dove into the research first to just make sure I didn't just make something up this wasn't a fluke turns out there's 70 years of research that tells you the impact of stress physiology on pregnancy outcomes and maternal outcomes and fetal outcomes. And I took that as my green light and here we are. Wow, that is incredible. And so inspiring that you used what is probably one of the most challenging times that you've had in order to propel you to help other people. Um, it's really beautiful. Thank I'm curious you. how, how did you know, where had you learned the skills to self-modulate? I don't know. I think it was instinctive, to be honest. It was not something I had learned anywhere in my clinical training. It was not something anybody had, I don't remember at least, taught me explicitly. Um, it was very much, I think, from a survival place of this is my last shot. So either I go inwards and figure this out or he's going to be born and it's going to be one more baby I don't bring home. Yeah. It's just really incredible because as you and I have um, discussed offline, that's one of the challenges in our field that we're trying to move forward is looking inward towards the body and somatic practices to heal our nervous system. And so I think it's just truly incredible that that was your instinct um, to do that as a survival mechanism, yeah. which, which goes against the literature of fight, flight, freeze. Yep. And now, you know, we know flocking with women, um, particularly, but that's really such a, and I mean, and that was such a gift, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so much, so much. So tell us from that point where, where I know you, um, authored a book Mm -hmm. And um, tell us about that and kind of how how this journey has continued a little bit. Yeah. So I first started by working with clients privately. I, I wanted to continue. You know, I came from that framework of client service and one-on-one -on -one work. Um, so I, that was kind of a natural bridge over. But instead of practicing psychotherapy, now I was doing, I don't know if there's even a word for it. It's consulting, health strategy integrative health education. I don't know. It's a combination of a lot of things. It's not psychotherapy. Anymore. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so it happens when you create your own little space yes. here. Um, and, and so I was working with them basically to teach them what I did, but for their particular situation. So uh, I noticed that at first clients would come to me mid-pregnancy and they say, oh, it's happening again. I didn't think this would happen this time, but contractions are starting early, blood pressure is going up, you know, something or the other is going on. Help! Ah, I don't want to go back to the NICU again. I don't want to lose this baby again, you know, that kind of experience. So I worked with a lot of clients in that perspective. And then I noticed that clients were coming earlier and earlier. So instead of waiting for something to happen, now they were coming preemptively to say, I will not walk that road again. And I know that there's no way to know for sure, but I want to do what I can to stack the deck in my favor. And so then I started working from preconception, which is what I do now. I meet clients at preconception phase and we go all the way through four weeks of homecoming, which is my ideal because I remember 
how difficult the handoffs were. I was at the fertility clinic for how long? About eight months or so. Mm-hmm. Long enough to feel at home there. You know, they were my people. I do know. <laughs> right? Intimately. Yes, yes. And you get very comfortable there and you get comfortable in the world and they know you and you just, it's, you don't want to be there, but if you're going to be there, at least you belong. Yep. And then you get pregnant and after a while they go, bye. And now I'm at this OB who doesn't know me. And then the the complications continued. So now I'm at an MFM who doesn't know me. And then baby's born. Now I'm with the NICU team who has no idea who we are. And then we go to the pediatrician after discharge. And I just didn't like the handoff situation. So Mm -hmm. I knew that whenever I really built this out, at least they would have one common thread across the board. And that would be me so that there's some home base to come to and like, okay, I'm not starting over everywhere in my life. So that's where we are. And then I worked with enough clients to go, this is really powerful stuff. Um, we are seeing clients beat medical odds over and over and over and over. And that's really what inspired me to write Pregnancy Brain is to kind of take all the lessons from my experience, my client experiences and the research that has just been sitting there and put it all together to show people uh, that you really have more power and uh, the ability to manage the road you're on during pregnancy than we're often made to believe. And that was really the intention of the book is to to inspire that and to show that it's not just some numbers that you kind of throw at yourself because we're getting that enough. Now here's some actual practical guidance of why that happens and how it's possible across the board for so many different situations. Oh, that's wonderful and so needed. I am... You know, I did a um, master's thesis on maternal health in Tanzania Mm. probably 25 years ago. And at that time, I started looking into maternal health practices globally and was stunned by our rankings in the United States. Yes. And so I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit about the conception we have of our maternal health care and the the data that we have and, and where that disconnect, you see your work in that disconnect. Absolutely. I, I will be very blunt and say that our system is atrocious. When we think about how much money we have, how much access to technology and advancements and research that we have, the outcomes that we see the preterm birth rates as it as it is, the loss rates for you know uh, infant loss as well as maternal loss is atrocious. There is no need. It doesn't make sense. It is two plus two equals five. What's yeah. happening here? Yeah. And I think what we are missing, which is kind of the, the I guess you could say tagline of the work I do, is that stress physiology is the missing piece. What we often do is we push aside stress, whether it's chronic stress, acute stress, traumatic stress as a mental health issue. And we say, okay, go deal with that over there. But as I was just telling somebody the other day, uh, traumatic stress, chronic stress has a mental health component, but it also has a cardiovascular component and a respiratory component and an immune component and a digestive component. We cannot silo it anymore. And if we want to see these rates improve, we cannot ignore this anymore. And that includes looking at 
what's happening in the body of the patient, which is kind of where I began my work. But then we need to look at the, the provider patient dynamic. And is there something happening in that? And especially now in the pandemic, when providers are so burned out and we're dealing with not just secondary trauma anymore, but they themselves are living through their own traumatic stress that's coming into that relationship. It's coming into the decisions they make, how much, energy they have available to be present for their patients, even if they want to be more, they themselves as humans have their own capacity limit. And then we have to go broader into the organization. How are they supporting a trauma-informed relationship between providers and patients? And then we've got to go to the industry and the system, which is completely where it breaks down. And so when you look at it from there, then you go, oh, I see how two plus two equals five, actually. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think absolutely what I'm struck with in our work as well as your work is that siloing, as you say, that separation between mind, body, Mm -hmm. and spirit, really. And, and, you know, we hear the term holistic bantered around a lot, and it's, it's a great buzzword, but do we have practices and do we have um, organizations set up in a way that actually honors that bringing together of all parts of a person and right. not in internal family systems talk? Because I know we talk a lot about parts in psychology yes. as well right now. Yes. Um, but truly mind, body, spirit, they're inseparable. They're absolutely inseparable. There's, there is no delineation between any of them and how do we change the language i actually just gave a talk the other day uh, where the event organizer organizer wanted to talk about a mind body approach to um, pregnancy after loss and i the one of the very first things i said is it's not mind body it's mind body because exactly. it's all one <laughs> exactly. so it's a whole <laughs> let's start there we can't separate it at all Mm-mm. no and as we know i know there's great work being done at the heart math institute and several other wonderful organizations that are looking at the physiological effects of um, bringing those back together yes. or separating them as as it would be if you know when we're under stress or when we're unable to um I mean, I think when we're deeply socialized to have those separate, it can be hard to remember Yes. Um, to pay attention when yes. we are feeling that palpitation or that knot in our stomach or um, any, you know, just a ruminating thoughts, especially yeah. when we are pregnant and you've experienced loss and how, what are the tools that can actually intervene and help calm your nervous system and calm you physiologically. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Tell me, what what are you seeing most of in your work right now? I, know, I feel like it, there are trends in um, all, all work. And I'm curious what you've seen now that you've been doing this for a little bit. What are you, what are you seeing mainly with your patients and in terms of, um, I know you said people are starting to seek you out earlier, which to me speaks of an awareness, an uptick in awareness. Yes. What else are you seeing in your practice? I think uh, I'm seeing a lot more awareness also of the space that we as patients can take up, the acknowledgement that, hey, we can actually question Uh, the recommendations, we can have discussions, we can ask for a conversation as opposed to just accepting what has been handed to us. 
uh, which is really, really cool. Um, and I'm seeing that in the form specifically of when when clients come to me, we work, we begin our work together. A lot of it is started around rebuilding their team. And there's a really beautiful conversation, multiple conversations we have of reviewing what worked last time, what didn't work last time, and now where can we insert some choice for you? Mm-hmm. Who do you want surrounding you this time? How can you build your village the way you want it to be built, uh, to be supported in the way that you want to be built, uh, which I think is really, really fabulous. And I think that the work that I do, it's completely hands-off, meaning I don't manually manipulate a, a body. And I've always done this work virtually because I remember thinking when I was on bed rest from early in pregnancy, even if the person was next door, I couldn't have gone. So I wanted this to be as accessible as possible from the very beginning. And in doing that, I'm able to teach clients how to then modulate their own bodies without the need of anyone or anything else, which turned out to be really helpful in 2020 when no one else was allowed to be in the room and they lost all of their supports, which is a whole other conversation and how terrible that decision was. But it really shows, I think, and people are being very receptive to this idea of, wow, I really do have a lot more power and I'm ready to own that and and accept that and acknowledge that and then use that to my benefit so that I don't become another statistic again. Absolutely. That's really heartening to me. Mm-hmm. me I love too. that. And just seeing self-advocacy um, yeah. coming into that space Definitely. is wonderful. Do you tend to work mainly with women who are pregnant right now? Or do you also work post-pregnancy with people who have experienced loss? Um, what's your um, kind of your breakdown of people who are, are coming to you? Primarily, I am working with with people from preconception through homecoming. Okay. But in the last like 18 months, I have had many more people reach out and go, I'm not pregnant. I don't think I'm going to be pregnant again, or I'm done growing my family. But I can feel like my body is really messed up in those in their words, right? If something's happened, you know, after preterm delivery, after pregnancy complications, sometimes after a loss, I've done all the mental work, I've done all the cognitive work, but I just keep developing all these new health issues and nobody can figure out why. Sure. And so that's kind of picked up, I would say, in the last 18 months or so, um, maybe even 12 months. And I think it's partially due to the pandemic as well. So sure. it's not just that experience, but that it's that experience within the context of a global pandemic and all the stressors that came with that. So um, yeah, it's expanded a little bit. That's wonderful. Because I was thinking of my own experience of having, I think every single one of my children were born prematurely. Mm. And, um, you know, hospital bed rest and at home bed rest and all of the same, you know, fertility treatments. And it sounds like a very similar journey. Yeah. And um, while I have sought mental health care for all sorts of other things. I don't know if I've ever gone in specifically to talk to someone about that mm-hmm. as part of my journey and healing that. And I, I just think it's really interesting and it speaks to almost a um, shoving down of that's over. Yep. Yep. And, and I'm, you know, I'm open about all other 
trauma in my past, especially in childhood, etc. But it's fascinating that even me who's working in this space has that disconnect of, oh, okay, well, now the baby's here and we managed to, you know, keep him alive. And yeah, that was hard. And not really even, I never even considered I could go to process that with someone. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I think it goes back to just generally the siloed care is fertility treatments, check, done. Pregnancy, check, done. High-risk pregnancy, check, done. NICU, check, done. And we just kind of stop it. And so then baby comes home and it's like, check, baby's here. And we just don't acknowledge the common kind of thread along the way that becomes a lifelong thread for not only our health, but then the health of our children and the, the health of the people around us. Not to add extra overwhelm to say, oh, well, mom's responsible for everything. But because we are social beings, we are going to be taking from each other in all of these different ways. And I think that's it's just really unfortunate that the system is set up that way, that we just kind of have this, even as you said, as somebody who works in this field, there is still a sense of doors closed. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, that was super hard. And yeah. I've yeah. actually had harder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which, you know, that speaks to a whole nother way that we're socialized of, of kind of shoving it down. Yeah. But I'm also um, super interested in, I guess, skills, practical skills, because I love when, you know, I'm a, I'm kind of a doer. And so when I recognize an issue, I love to have a skill set to then address the issue. And I was wondering yeah. if you had one skill that you could teach our listeners that that you teach your people um, to help them. Yeah. So I will say that I don't teach tools, actually. Ooh, tell me. Yeah. So um, from a trauma-sensitive lens, what we are looking at is not something to calm the nervous system down. What we have to look at is figuring out what state our nervous system is functioning mm -hmm. in, match that, and then alter everything around it so our nervous system does not have to function in that state anymore. And so I think a lot of what we hear on social media and pop culture is take some deep breaths and kind of do the box breathing or look for, you know, 15 different colors. And I'm like, whoa, it really doesn't have to be that complicated. We've got to match where we are first. And one of the things I love about the work that I do, I just get so excited about it, is the um, the approach to the nervous system and the body from a sensory and a sensory motor perspective. Because we, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the secret back door where, you know, it's a little farther back in the house. It's a little farther away than you want. It's kind of dark, but it's really the fastest way into the body in the gentlest way possible. So if I had to give one for today, I would say, Get curious about which of your five external senses have gone offline. When we've experienced traumatic stress of any kind, but especially in a situation like pregnancy, which is such a visceral experience, and we experience a moment that is encoded as threatening and we can't come out of that, one of the protective mechanisms that happens is one or multiple of our senses goes down which one and get really curious about it investigate a little bit and i'll tell you just as an example many many times my clients are like mm, 
no, totally fine. Let's play. Let's just get curious about it. And so they go back into their daily lives and they're checking it out, checking it out. And almost always the next call is, I never realized I don't taste my food. Oh, wow. And I'm like, yeah, tell me more. And it's, there's a difference between actually tasting it in that moment versus relying on a somatic memory of what you know that thing tastes like. Yes, absolutely. And so you hear, right, that we're not going in to fix anything yet. So much of this work has to start with curiosity and understanding and awareness. I think we go way too quickly to, I feel really bad, make it stop. And sure, sure there are moments where we do need to make it stop because we've got to show up as you know professionals, parents, people. Sure, totally get that. But for the true, deep, physiologically healing work, it's got to start with curiosity. And I find this one to be actually really illuminating to start with. Absolutely. So I love that. And that's one of the things we teach as well is to become very curious and yeah. then immediately self-compassionate as well. Because mm. typically when we're figuring things out and we're seeing maybe seeing some gaps, it might be our first instinct to feel bad about a gap. And so we also talk a lot about um, being benevolent we call it benevolently curious oh i like and that just there's no you know it's awareness it's not a judgment we're just trying to figure out what's going on yeah exactly so i love that with the food that's so interesting what would be another um example for our listeners of a sense going offline yeah uh, another one that's really common is tactile so you know you kind of you feel things but you realize you don't really feel them as strongly as you normally do and or normally did maybe prior to. And, and that's if you can remember right from a few months ago, a few years ago and and getting really then curious about, is it a particular texture that's harder to feel? Is it a particular part of my hand where it's difficult to feel? I often see that fingers are harder to feel, but I can feel a little bit more in the palms of my hands, something to that nature, of that nature. Um, so getting curious about, is it a particular texture? Is it a particular temperature? And oftentimes when clients start to get curious about that, immediately they start connecting it to, oh, I remember when. I remember when I was in the labor and delivery room and they put the IV in and it felt cold. And now it's like, I can't feel anything other than ice because I've, my body has literally changed the threshold of what I am capable of sensing from that tactile sense, for example. Oh, that's so interesting. And is this coming out of polyvagal theory and vagus nerve or where the body of research that um, you found that was indeed, you know, 70 years old, I would love to, I mean, I'm probably my listeners might not look this up. <laughs> I'm the academic nerd who's like, yes. where does this come from? I love this. Isn't this fantastic? Yes. It's a combination of a variety of fields. It's through, you know, psychoneuroimmunology is yeah. kind of the primary um, central industry that's that started in this. Um, there's in within various aspects of somatics, you see some of this. And then I'm finding a lot of really interesting research inside of occupational therapy and yes. the access of sensory and sensory motor um, systems 
into the body, which I'm just like completely enamored with. <laughs> You're the first person I've heard say that. Yeah. And I start, yeah, we, you know, we, um, we do a lot of OT things in our family because uh -huh. of having children with special needs who have gone to occupational therapists yep. and just found a lot of wonderful little, I was doing this because one of the things we do is a rhythmic tapping and uh -huh. I am safe and sound. Yes. You know, I am safe and sound. And that's really, um, it can be really helpful for our child with autism. Yes. But it's, it's useful for everyone. It really is. If I can just then take that nerd out for just one more minute. Yeah. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> you know, it's, I think there's a couple of other benefits to that too. One, which I find to be kind of the primary benefit is we don't go into the parts of the body that are carrying the traumatic stress right away. That's just going to overload the body. But if we can create these supports in these other ways by activating the, the external senses, then going into the internal senses and really bo boosting up that sensory system, it's like we talked about, there's no delineation of mind, body, spirit. There's no delineation of parts of our body. And so if you can support one without ever re-traumatizing, re-triggering, you don't even have to tell me what happened. You yeah. boost one up, the rest will follow. And I find that to be so cool because you get over that initial hump of accessing your body which i recognize is a very steep hill it's it is a steep hill it is the hardest part of our work together once you've got it the benefits are not just in the sensory system it's not just in your muscles and your joints and your tendons it's everything starts to come back up and yeah. you go oh that was so worth it i yeah. can see it working now and the second piece is especially in the pandemic when i think everybody's under such tremendous levels of stress I'm noticing so many more uh, people coming to me saying, I feel lightheaded, I feel dizzy, I'm losing my balance, and everything else is checking out. And it really, again, speaks to, we start with external senses, but these internal senses, that vestibular system is significantly impacted by uh, traumatic stress and by stress physiology. And so if you think of it as that, what else is being impacted? And I think it's, it finally gives answers where we haven't been able to find any. And when we can follow physiology, we can follow the human body and how it needs to complete that stress cycle, it just gets better mm -hmm. so much faster than you can imagine. Yeah, that, I think that's the miracle of it. It's like a exactly. key to a door that we have been cutting down, we've been pounding on we've been trying to light on fire we've been trying all sorts of things to get in yes yes <laughs> and it's a key yeah exactly and, you know i saw it was such a miracle to see how it functioned in my son um because i went to every ot session so um it just in several short i mean i i can't remember i think it was I think he went for maybe four to six months once a week. And, you know, the first couple times I thought, this is silly. Like she's tapping on things. She's having him do these 
you know, it was almost like a yoga class. And this was <laughs> quite a while ago before I realized the, the significance of the mind-body connection. Um, but it produced miraculous results, truly. Yes. yes, Where he was able to balance, where he was able to walk um, without leaning, um, just and then it, it it cascaded into calmer behavior and less meltdowns and yep. and so i am a huge believer in using the principles of ot in yep. this work as well yeah so i absolutely love that you said that yeah it's it's just blown everything wide open and i have a lot of fun teaching it and it's just really neat to see exactly what you and i experience watching our children to see that for our clients and see oh, they're really seeing the benefit very quickly. Cause I'm really of the mindset of you've been through enough. Can we get you some wins quickly, please? Like yeah. I'm not here for dragging this out for years, <laughs> you yes, know? Absolutely. I want you to feel your body reacting to what you're doing in the way that you want it to feel as quickly as possible. And this has just been one of the most amazing shortcuts. That's wonderful. I notice when I'm offline, when I'm from my body, when I am unable to have that awareness of my body, it directly cuts off and impacts my awareness to feel um, that inner guidance in my life, yes. like the next steps that I need to take, that um, a connection to my higher power, to um, the universe, whatever you want to call it. And so I feel so incredibly motivated to help people marry the mind and body again, because for me, it's what helped me then to finally step into knowing when I felt I was on my purpose or yes. on my right path and making yes. decisions became so much easier because I could actually feel my body. Yes. And, and so I think it's just, it's such an, it lays such an incredible foundation for directing oneself. It's so true. It's absolutely true. I think we're absolutely on the same page about that is we can't hear our instinct or gut or whatever we want to call it um, if we can't feel our bodies. Right. You can't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's that's what I, I realized. Um, I did a lot of work in Rwanda mm -hmm. and, um, you know, looking at forgiveness after genocide and realizing um, that this, this trauma that happens, and I'm wondering if you see this, you know, research is now showing that it, it can, because of epigenetics and how our genetic ex expressions will change, it can now go down seven to eight generations mm -hmm. if it's left unresolved. Yes. yes. And so what, one thing I want to just encourage people to do, especially if not for themselves, to look at the ways that we are being impacted by things that happened in the past, not to dwell on them and not to stay stuck, yeah. but in fact, to catapult forward <laughs> and, and to really protect those who come after us yeah. from that genetic imprint being expressed in a way that's not going to serve them. Yes. Um, and I know you're, you know, you've, been doing this work less than a generation, but I can't wait to um, see what this type of work does in order to help the babies that are being yes. 
born through this process. Yes. I mean, yes, exactly. It's still so new, but anecdotally, at least, I'm hearing some incredible, like it brings tears to my eyes, stories of what it does for baby's health. So far, we've been able to keep almost all babies out of the NICU, which has been amazing. And that in and of itself is huge. And, and what it does to that initial attachment period and that bond, because both parent and child are completely available, that state of the nervous system is matched with each other to be able to create that. It's, it like blows my mind when I get updates yeah. from clients months later and even down to like one, two years, uh, they're celebrating their birthdays, going to preschool and like just telling me like how much of it makes a difference for them wow. um, and how much that it it's carried on for so long already. So I'm very excited to see what this does to um, the next generation. Too. I am too. I really am. And I just wish I would have had you back in the day when I was going through this um, because you know here we are years later and those babies that were born to us and had to spend a lot of time in the NICU we're we're working on their nervous system still yeah yep. you know as they're teenagers yep. and looking at EMDR and looking at other ways to help them reconnect um, because that critical attachment period was disrupted yep Exactly. And it kept them alive and we're super yes. grateful. Um, you know, we would yep. rather have this than the alternative. Yes. Um, but I think your work is so important and I'm so honored that you would come and, and talk to me and to our listeners today about your work. Where can we find you? Where can I point my listeners to? Oh, sure. Um, my website has links to everything. So how to work with me, workshops, courses, my book, my podcast, all of that is at barijatdeshpande.com. It's my full name.com. Um, but if you want to come hang out, I am on Instagram primarily. You can find me at healthy.highriskpregnancy on Instagram. Wonderful. Thank you so much again for your time. It was just so lovely to talk to you and I really, really appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to go deeper on this subject or any other subjects we've covered in the podcast, we are so excited to be launching our signature membership program at MendingTrauma.com. This is a trauma-informed mental health membership where we combine clinically effective practices, courses, and mentoring while putting you in the driver's seat. We teach you how to heal your trauma with the latest research combining mind, body, and spirit. We want to walk you through a healing journey while also empowering you. If you have felt this episode is helpful, we would absolutely love if you would go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your pods and give us a review. We'd also love it if you would share it with someone you think it might help. Tag us on social media at mendingtrauma.com or at Amy Hoyt PhD. We would love to reshare. And also, if there's anything we can do to help, we would love to hear from you. Email info at mendingtrauma.com. Give us your suggestions or topics you want to hear about. We would absolutely love to be of more service to you. We're so excited because we have so many good episodes coming up in season two, and we can't wait to go on this journey with you.